With the news media reporting increasingly more data breaches and cybersecurity events, and the use of personal data in ways that invade people's privacy, you need to know how to keep your business's data, not to mention your own personal data, safe from hacks and your business operating in the most secure environment. Otherwise, this can not only hurt your business reputation, it can cost you clients. Welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. We're here to help you prevent potential damages and losses before the hackers even have your number. Now, here is the Privacy Professor and your host, Rebecca Harold. Hello and welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. I'm Rebecca Harold, your host. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to the 99th episode of my show. Please subscribe to my show on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, or whatever your favorite podcast or news app is. Also, please subscribe to my show on the Voice America Business Channel website. Then you will be notified just as soon as each new show is available. And thank you to all my listeners throughout the world. I sincerely appreciate you in all of the at least now 70 countries where you are located. I really do thank you for listening and for sending all your messages. And I sincerely hope you are all doing well out there. My May Privacy Professor Tips message was published on April 28th. You can sign up for them by going to privacyguidance.com or privacysecuritybrainiacs.com and submitting your email in the box on your screen. And remember, they are always free. So our topic today, I'm so excited to talk about this. So a little background. My longtime listeners know that I've been working on Internet of Things otherwise called IoT and smart devices and products. I've been working on them for several years now, from 2008 when a tech startup asked me to look at a new smart robot they were developing for use in schools. And I looked then at the time at all the cybersecurity and privacy and compliance issues and risks Now, since then, besides doing and still being actively involved in deep research into cybersecurity and privacy vulnerabilities and and threats that IoT products have, I've also served as an expert witness for two different cases involving the use of IoT technologies to basically surveil and hunt down targeted victims. So in the first uh, case, I was an expert witness in a case where a lack of good, effective identity verification to allow access to an IoT device controller and app resulted in a, a woman being assaulted by the stalker she was hiding from in a hotel with her six-year-old daughter. She was beaten almost to death in front of her six-year-old daughter. Her, her daughter was not harmed. This 
insufficient identity verification was in addition to a lack of IoT product cybersecurity and privacy capabilities. Now, before the attack, upon multiple occasions, the victim saw that there was activity in her smart card dashboard and logs, and she suspected that the stalker was getting into her account. She kept moving around to different hotels trying to stay away from the stalker while she was trying to resolve this IoT issue, this smart car issue. Even though she asked the call center, it was a contracted third-party call center, she asked them on three different occasions to not allow anyone other than herself access to her own smart car information. And she even asked them to disable these capabilities, which, by the way, was not technically possible within this smart car. Well, ultimately, they did go ahead and they allowed the stalker access to her smart car portal. Now, I was able to confirm through the car logs and other IoT components, the controller and the hub logs, along with the customer support phone call recordings that, yes, they did give even, even after the car owner begged them during a phone call to disable her account because she feared her for her life. I heard that call, and they still went ahead after that and gave the stalker access after he used social engineering multiple times to trick them. Now, they had very weak identity verification procedures, and these were the ones that the automobile manufacturer told them to use, and they did not log the car owner's requests not to allow anyone other than herself access, along with other problems, such as the car company did not provide the call center with procedures to identify and prevent social engineering attacks. And the car just simply did not include important security capabilities. So then the other case I was involved with, it involved an abusive ex-spouse. <clears throat> and this ex-spouse had given his young daughter after the divorce uh, a smart toy. And this smart toy recorded everything in the vicinity, including the location of the doll and other types of data, and it recorded what was being said in the vicinity and so on. And it sent all this information to the cloud. Before giving the doll to his daughter, the attacker father registered the doll, and so it was in his name, and so he had access to the recordings portal and all the other information from the doll, including the location and so on. And he even quite easily actually modified the doll so that even when his ex-wife and his daughter switched the doll off, it was still always on. And so another assault occurred using an IoT doll this time. Now, these cases have demonstrated to me even more so than, than just the theories you often hear about what could happen. 
it really shows the significant risks of how IoT products can be used to target victims for abuse and assault. And what is truly alarming is that I can tell you these high-level details about these two cases without these details actually revealing specific cases. And why is that? It's because these types of incidents, these violent incidents have occurred so many times. And today we're discussing this growing problem. Today I have the perfect person to discuss IoT-enabled abuse and assaults. And I'm, I'm really so happy to welcome to my show today Adam Dodge, who is the founder of Ending Technology-Enabled Abuse, or it's EndTab for short. And that website is endtab.org, E-N-D-T-A-B.org. Now, Adam's work is characterized by his dedication to addressing the existing and the future threats posed by technology to victims of crime and gender-based violence. And Adam has written extensively on technology-enabled abuse, and he spends a great deal of his time developing and delivering innovative technology-enabled abuse presentations to organizations all around the world. Adam is also a special advisor to the Coalition Against Stalkerware, sits on the World Economic Forum's Pathways to Digital Justice Advisory Committee, and he's a licensed attorney in California. You can see more about Adam Dodge in the bio posted on my Voice America show site page about today's episode. Adam, thank you so much for being my guest today. Welcome to my show. Thank you, Thank so, you so much. much. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I have so much to ask. We have just a short hour's time, even less than that now. But I do want to start with just even the term Internet of Things and IoT and smart devices, because, you know, people have a very wide view of what types of products these include. So when you are talking about domestic and other types of abuse, that are facilitated about IoT products and other technologies. What types of IoT products and devices are you usually talking about? Well, the list seems to be getting longer every day. Um, but I would say some of the common devices and products that we see misused and weaponized against victims of gender-based violence and stalking and elder abuse and, and other common forms of abuse include things like smart doorbells and home security devices, personal trackers like AirTag and Tile, there are devices, GPS tracking devices that plug into the OBD port in, a, in an automobile that are misused to track people without their consent, fitness trackers, the list goes on and on because these devices are becoming so accessible and affordable that people who mean to do victims harm can really take advantage of them and, and misuse them in, in the ways that, that I've described. 
Well, thank you for offering those examples. And I'll get, I want to get to a few specific examples here in a little bit, but I, I thought it would be helpful first to continue to set the stage a little bit is to know, you know, how long this has really been going on because, you know, technology advances so quickly. How long have you been researching the victims of domestic assault, stalking, and other abuse that's facilitated through the use of IoT devices? I've really been heavily focused on it for the last five years, but it was certainly something that was coming up even before then, but it was you know, less common in the early days of the gender-based violence work that I was doing. But more recently, uh, it's really, we've seen a, a stark uptick. And mm. I would say the last two to three years in particular, uh, um, we, we've seen it really coming up more and more commonly in gender-based violence cases. Do you, you know, talking about an uptick, would you happen to have numbers? I mean, I'm a numbers person, so it's always, you know, interesting to me if, you know, how the number of instances have increased over the past few years as, you know, as time goes on, especially with IoT compared to maybe uh, other types of, you know, the technology-based abuses like through social media and so on. Unfortunately, we don't really have statistics that we can hang our hat on when it comes to IoT-enabled abuse. It's it's more anecdotal. Uh, word spreads among the gender-based violence community about a fitness tractor being misused in a certain way or smart home locks uh, being misused by a tech-savvy uh, ex-intimate partner and things like that. But unfortunately, and this is really true for, I would say, tech-facilitated abuse in general, is we really lack clear data um, or statistics around these forms of abuse because I think it's considered to be a bit of a niche, uh, uh, wrongly considered to be mm-hmm. a niche form of abuse. And, uh, and so unfortunately, folks aren't really tracking the data, but that's starting to change. We're starting to see stats come out, for example, with stalkerware that address these things. But um, I have yet to come across a really meaningful study that, that gives us a, a really powerful sense of how often IoT facilitated abuse is taking place. Yeah, you know, um, and I'm not really surprised about that because I anticipate a lot of those cases are probably settled before they go to court. I mean, I know for uh, for both those cases I was involved with right before we went to court, it was settled. So it was like, you know, it's hard to find that information. And, you know, as a lawyer, I mean, when when cases are settled before you go to court, is that information that's usually not made public then, is it or is it? and just very hard to find. It's not, it's not made public. And unfortunately, in my experience, these cases don't even settle because they never become cases at all. Ah. Uh, They, they, 
it's it's pretty rare that a text facilitated abuse case will make its way into a, a criminal courtroom or a civil courtroom simply because there are challenges with respect to the survivors of the victims even knowing that their technology is being weaponized and misused against them and then you know sadly our our legal institutions aren't properly resourced to to handle these cases and so a lot of them go unaddressed or require expert witnesses like yourself mm -hmm. uh, to to get involved and and those folks as i think you probably know are few and far between and so mm -hmm. Unfortunately, a lot of these cases don't see the light of day when it when it comes to, uh, you know, for example, our our legal institutions. Yeah, well, hopefully this, you know, people listening will be more aware after this that, that awareness needs to build. But I'd like to kind of delve into some of the specific cases. And, you know, since one of my cases involved a car now. It sounds like it might have been different than the what you were talking about, but still, it's through the the use of an automobile. You said that you had dealt with, um, you know, I think it was an IoT device being attached to a car, or was it actually built into the vehicle? Uh, so what happened was there are. So there are, and I didn't know this at the time, but there are data ports, diagnostic ports underneath the driver's side uh, portion of the dash that is called an OBD port. And these are what, because most cars have computers in them and have for, mm. for quite some time. And this is what a auto dealer or a repair shop will plug into to, to run diagnostics on the car. But there are also devices that can be plugged in by the car's owner to track the car or get information about the car. And I've worked on cases where we have had, we've had a really difficult time figuring out how an ex-intimate partner was able to keep tabs on the victim. And a colleague of mine suggested we check the OBD port and sure enough, a a GPS tracker and diagnostic device that you could buy at Best Buy or Radio Shack had been plugged in and was relaying GPS information, was relaying uh, speed the speeds that this person was uh, driving on average when they were taking Bluetooth phone calls and a variety of other things. And, and really, I think this also underscores in the age of, of smart devices, how difficult it is to narrow down what IoT device is being misused in a person's within a person's digital footprint. And and that was a, certainly an eye-opening case for us. So Adam, you know, that's so interesting because I think a lot of people, like you said, they don't think about all these ports and all these other areas within these increasingly smart automobiles, vehicles, and so on that exist. So, you know, in the case I was discussing at the beginning, that was for built in to the vehicle capabilities, which um, was something then that the manufacturer would know about. But what you're talking about then is a completely separate device that did it have like a um, probably an app 
that it communicated with? You said it would be something you could buy at like a Best Buy or Walmart or Target or something. Yeah, exactly. And and not just, I, I should be clear, it wasn't designed as a nefarious uh, IoT enabled device, but as what commonly happens in these cases is that it gets misused uh, to do something that it wasn't intended to do, like non-consensually track the person who was using the car and really created a false sense of security because the individual, the victim in this case, did not have a car where where they had to worry about uh, pre-installed smart software in the car that the other party could could log into and track, which is a problem with other cases, but wasn't in this circumstance. So really created a sense of security for them and didn't think the car was being weaponized against them, but it turned out that this device allowed them to sort of hijack the car and turn it into uh, an, uh, an instrument for IoT-enabled abuse. I think that's such a, a good point uh, about, too, how so many times, I mean, I personally, even though I talk about all of these security and privacy issues, I love the possibilities that IoT technologies bring. I mean, there's so many good things that they can do. There's so many benefits that they can bring. But at the same time, like you said, when people misuse them or weaponize them, if you will, uh, that's where things go bad. And so you have to think about uh, those, <laughs> how they're being weaponized, right? Um, right. So the personal trackers, this, I find this fascinating, too, because, of course, Fitbits, probably the first types of, you know, fitness trackers out there and people. I still remember in the early days, I'd be at conferences giving talks and everybody would be have their little Fitbit bracelet on. Sure. <laughs> but, you know, also, I know that they've been used for insurance cases and in uh, divorce cases and so on because of the data. What have you seen with regard to the assaults and uh, abuses? How are they being used for those purposes? Right. So what used to be an issue with Fitbit, we're now the modern issue we're running into is with personal trackers like AirTag and Tile, which are designed to help us keep track of our belongings, like our keys mm. or our bags or our wallets or our luggage or things like that. And they're really effective tools at, find, at, at keeping tabs on those things. What the real breakthrough as a benefit and as also an abuse issue came when it expanded beyond Bluetooth range. So most of these personal trackers connect to your device via an app using Bluetooth. And as we know, when we use, when we connect to a Bluetooth device, it has a limited range. And when you start walking away from a Bluetooth speaker that you're connected to, it eventually disconnects at maybe 30, 40, maybe 70 feet, which would make one think that they're not an effective stalking tool if somebody drives away or or travels a great distance away. But the real breakthrough is that companies like Apple have turned all their 
devices to a tracking network, meaning that anytime a AirTag passes within Bluetooth range of another Apple device, it pings the tracking network and enables long range tracking, which becomes a real misuse and abuse opportunity for people who want to non-consensually track and stalk someone by placing an AirTag or tile unknowingly on their person, in their bag, or in their vehicle. Wow. Now, that's that's really scary. It kind of reminds me or, or makes me think of it as being like the next generation of those trackers that, you know, that I think primarily uh, police used to use and they still use, but I think also just the public used to take the trackers and put them in the wheel well of your vehicle, you know, to, to follow you. It's almost like these are the next generation of that because they're much smarter in how they can connect to the, the networks from what you describe. Um, do you have any specific types of situations without anybody's, you know, without any personal information, but do you have any specific incidents that you can share with us? Too many. Uh oh, that's sad. Um, but but I'm happy to share a few. Okay. With with AirTag, you know the the challenge with AirTags is they're really effective and they're only twenty nine dollars, and so it makes it a very it's not a a spying device. It's a very publicly available device, and the way we've seen them misused and weaponized against victims to non-consensually track have have really been sort of what you described. I've worked with it on a case where somebody had put an AirTag behind the target's license plate, just wedged it back in there um, and used it to non-consensually track. I've seen cases where they've been put in skylights uh, or moonroofs of cars. Skylights, I should call them sunroofs, not skylights more in a home. or uh, I, like you said, in wheel wells, I've seen them glued underneath cars. I've seen them placed in, some, uh, women have found them in their bags after a night out, meaning somebody who they came across that evening was tracking them in real time. So those are some of the ways that- Some of the uh, ways. Them, uh, yeah. In those cases, they were mostly strangers, but in the cases of targets finding them on their vehicle, it was usually a a former intimate partner that had placed Mm. them there. Well, we have a a break coming up right now. So let's hold on there. And when we come back, why um, we will perhaps hear some of these specific cases, because I know that our listeners will want to hear them. So right now it's time for a quick break to hear from our sponsors. I'm speaking today with Adam Dodge, founder of endtab.org, about how IoT technologies and products are used to facilitate abuse and assaults. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold, the Privacy Professor. Contact me with questions and comments about this show using Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com, and you can also go through my PrivacySecurityBrainiacs.com website. Please stay with us. We will be right back after these important messages from my sponsors.
The Privacy Professor is your trusted source for effective information security, privacy and compliance advice, compliance tools, education, consulting, expert witness services, research, report writing, and board positions. Visit us online at privacyguidance.com. Rebecca also provides keynote speeches and her free Privacy Professor monthly tips messages she has published since 2007. Visit privacyguidance.com for help and answers to your questions. The Privacy Security Brainiacs team wants everyone responsible for security, privacy, and compliance to stay up to date with the latest news, risks, and security and privacy practices. Check out their growing library of topics not offered by others. Privacy Security Brainiacs also wants every business to perform automated risk assessments, which are free or value-priced for all types of security and privacy topics. You need to find out more about Privacy Security Brainiacs. Visit PrivacySecurityBrainiacs.com. You are listening to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. If you have a question or comment about the program, feel free to send an email to Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. That's Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. Now, back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. Welcome back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor on Voice America's Business Channel. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold, and I'm speaking today with Adam Dodge, founder of endtab.org, about how IoT technologies and products are used to facilitate abuse and assaults. I should say how they're misused, really, because it's that's not the primary purpose, as we discussed before the break. But before the break, Adam was talking about um, some of the tags, the air tags on the cars. So, Adam, yeah, if you can go ahead and continue with your examples you were, you were providing, that would be fabulous. Sure. And I think I'll share one story, and I think it also underscores the challenge with IoT-enabled abuse and really tech-enabled abuse in general is that the person who is causing the harm often is not incentivized to reveal themselves. They are monitoring or they are invading someone's privacy and they don't want the, the victim or the target to know that they're doing this because if the victim knows, then they will likely take steps to cut that access off. So the example, another example with that of a case that I worked on with AirTags is a case where the victim had a child in common with an ex-partner and uh, who was abusive. And she had had some moments where she felt like she, some inkling that she was being followed or that her ex-partner knew things about her that they shouldn't know like where she was uh, a few nights previously or if she'd gone out to dinner with somewhere, but couldn't quite put her finger on it. And then one day her son was playing with her purse and unzipped a pocket on her purse that she never used uh, and that the ex-husband knew she never used and her son pulled out an air tag from that pocket. Wow. So she 
was not really aware. She didn't know that AirTags existed. She didn't know what the what the AirTag was when it was first pulled out. But it, it goes to show you, one, how easily these things can hide in plain sight, and two, that it almost requires us to be a little proactive and aware of our of our devices and our digital footprint because there are there are a lot of ways that they can be uh, compromised and misused, especially in cases involving intimate partner violence because the person seeking to harm the victim often has or had access to the victim's devices, apps, and accounts. Yes. I mean, you know, those tags that you're talking about, those are very constrained types of devices. And by that, for my listeners who might not recognize that term, that means, and I'm assuming this, and correct me if I'm wrong, but that means that they really don't do much more than collect data and then uh, send it out to an app or some cloud somewhere, correct? Correct. I mean, some will do a a little more, like, for example, Mm -hmm. tile trackers include geofencing alerts. So somebody who is tracking uh, an individual without their consent will get alerted when they leave the house or something like that, which is an added, um, a pretty creepy added feature when misused uh, to keep track of somebody without their knowledge. Yes, yes. And um, I can see the benefits and some of the listeners might think, what? But yeah, I mean, my mother died of early onset Alzheimer's Uh, back in 1996. And I know that that's something that Alzheimer's patients, they, that would be so important to know when they're leaving the safe area, right? Um, So I can see great benefit there. But like you said, you, you can take something that has great benefits, but yet it, uh, can be misused and, and bring great harm. So, and there's billions of those types of of tiles and trackers and sensors out there. That's the thing. I mean, can't you even buy those at like Lowe's and Menards and Home Depot and places like that now? Yeah, they're they're widely accessible. And and I should say that Apple and Tile, who sort of make the are the leaders in the personal tracker movement have put anti-stalking features on oh. these devices. It's just, unfortunately, they, they don't always work in 100% of the circumstances. For example, if you're being tracked by a tile and you don't have a tile app on your phone because you don't own mm. a tile, then you're not in a position yeah. to scan or check to see if you're being stalked by an untethered tile. So uh, there's there's we're, we're hopeful that a universal scanning tool that just operates in the background mm-hmm. and that alerts us that if we're, if there's a, 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 a personal tracker traveling with us, mm-hmm. that's the hope so that yes. we don't have to do anything proactively to scan for these things, because that assumes that we know we're being tracked, which we may not know. So uh, the nice thing about air tags for iPhone users is that it will alert you, it runs in the background all the time because they're both Apple products and it will alert you if you're being tracked by an untethered AirTag. But there are some, it doesn't always, it doesn't always work as intended, unfortunately. So we're still seeing stalking cases. 
Yes. Well, it sounds like they have compatibility issues with the technology they need to to resolve and work with like Android and and some of the others so they can communicate with each other. That's always a com- competition type of issue probably that's you know they did they actually did make an AirTag app for Android devices. Um, mm-hmm. But again, if you're an Android user and you're being tracked by an AirTag and you don't mm-hmm. own an AirTag then there's no reason for you to have the AirTag app on your on your Android device, yeah. which makes it, which is a real, you know, provides a lot of opportunity. It does. These uh, these trackers without the person being tracked knowledge. Oh, so well, so that's one area. So that's for for the trackers. Now I'm intrigued by the uh, video doorbells. So um, of course, a lot of people. I mean, I'm seeing people posting online all the time videos from you know their ring their nest also there's there's so many different types of smart doorbells now what are you seeing with regard to how those are used for abuse and stalking and assaults yeah again this this really comes up in our work in cases of intimate partner and domestic violence because very often in the overwhelming majority of cases where a video doorbell is misused to monitor and non-consensually record a victim in their home, it's it's because they, the abusive party used to reside in that home and often set up the account for the video doorbell. Mm. And when they vacate the, the premises or leave in the, in the, victim stays in the home, very often the victim doesn't think to change the password or make that device safer. And the irony is that this is a a device designed to protect them. But because of this sort of domestic violence loophole that exists, they can be misused to monitor them. For example, I worked on a case where the, the survivor that I was working with could not figure out why Uh, her estranged partner who they shared children would escalate uh, the, his abusive behavior um, at certain times. It it really followed no pattern. Um, It it would always just sort of come out of nowhere. And it wasn't until she realized that he still had access to her video doorbell and also the other uh, linked smart cameras, uh, so smart uh, surveillance cameras around the home that she was able to piece together that every time a man came to her home, whether it was a delivery man, a male friend, the the husband of one of her friends that came over in a couple, if a man entered the home, the abuse escalated, the harassment escalated. Um, and, but she could not for the life of her figure out what the pattern was until she made the connection that he still had access to the very easy to use video doorbell and surveillance equipment in the home. Wow. Yes. I mean, those types of things, people, like you said, they don't think about that, but that's like that one other case I was telling about with the doll, you know, and the father was the one that registered the doll. So he had all access to all that data 
when things go wrong, I mean, what do you, you aren't going to think about your IOT devices during a split up usually, right? It's like, you just no. keep seeing them. <laughs> there no, needs you don't. To, <laughs> there needs to yeah. be an easy way to, to tell people, hey, have you had any changes lately that you need to change your access levels uh, for? Yeah, that, that would be nice. I, I think what you're your point is is really a powerful one actually because it it underscores that people really don't value their digital safety in the same way they value their physical safety and as a result they look to things in their lives that directly link to their physical safety like their doors uh, locks being changed or mm. um you know, say, making sure their windows are closed at night and things like that, because that directly relates to their physical safety. But they're not thinking about the smart doorbell or the email account or the shared phone account and things that can can really create dangerous circumstances as far as someone's digital safety is concerned and lead to situations that compromise their physical safety. And so I'm I'm on a crusade to get folks to start valuing their digital safety in the same way they value their physical safety. And hopefully if they do, they will look to their IOT devices sooner and get them, make sure that they're secured and safe sooner than they otherwise are currently. Yes. Yes. We're, we're no longer have a, uh, sharp divide between digital and physical worlds. I mean, they're intertwined uh, in so many ways that you you just can't say, oh, we don't have to worry about that. I love that, that you're raising awareness. So, you know, talking about these issues about not thinking about it, what do you recommend to people then who maybe they they feel like they might be targets or maybe just is a good thing to do anyway to keep them from being victimized uh, through the use of the the different types of IoT products that they use. Well, as a follow up to my pitch on <laughs> prioritizing digital safety, I I try to remind folks that we have massive digital footprints, even beyond the our devices and IoT devices, you think about all the apps and accounts that we have and use every day. And these are real opportunities for people, especially people that we have a personal connection to, like a, like a former current intimate partner or a, a friend who we had a falling out with or something like that. And, and helping folks get clear on how reliant they are on the apps on their phone, on the smart devices that they use every day, and what it means for somebody to have access to those devices, what it means for somebody to be able to monitor them and keep tabs on them and really help because it, it doesn't take a lot of convincing for folks to, to to acknowledge how reliant we are on our technology. And, and once we do that, helping folks understand that you don't have to be a tech expert to keep yourself digitally safe in, in the modern world. It, it's 
simple things like updating passwords, making sure that two-step verification is turned on so that even if a, a former partner has your password, if they try to log in to your account or your smart device apps from a new device, they will be thwarted and asked for a six-digit code that will be sent to the victim's device, not their device. And so little things like that. And it doesn't have to be something you do all at once because we've got hundreds of these accounts and, and device apps. So really starting with the ones that we, we use most frequently and making sure that they're safe or maybe even considering updating to a new account and, and closing their existing account. It, it's, it's very straightforward stuff, but can feel a little intimidating if you don't consider yourself to be tech savvy or you weren't the one to set up the device. Yes. Well, and talking about getting a new device or upgrading and so on, have you run across situations where like something I've seen just over the years in general with computers and computing devices is really horrible ways in which people dispose of devices they no longer want to use. So oftentimes they sell them on eBay or Craigslist and they don't remove any of the data, which includes their ID and password and everything's all on there. And they're selling them to strangers who will find that data or they put them out in their trash can in their front, you know, uh, in their front yard and somebody goes through their trash and takes them. I mean, have you found like any situations where improper disposal or just sloppy disposal, I guess you can say, of IoT devices have led to problems because people saw an opportunity to take something they found and just be bad with the, with that opportunity? Well, the way it comes up in our work is not typically with the disposal of an IoT device, but more commonly with the disposal of a smartphone or a tablet, which mm -hmm. uh, oftentimes aren't wiped and so still have access to the victim's iCloud or Google account, let's say, for example, and are can be left in the possession of a former partner or given to a child in common. And because they never severed the connection of that device to the victim's accounts or uh, cloud accounts or, or apps, it gives the person who has physical control of that device access to a person's digital world. And the good news is on, for example, really any device, but with Apple, for example, if you go into the iCloud, uh, or excuse me, Apple ID, settings on in on an on an apple device you can see all the the devices listed there that still are connected to the icloud account and if there's an old smartphone or old iphone still listed there you can take steps to remove it directly from from um, the the apple id uh, area of the settings another thing to add to the <laughs> to the to-do list for sure whenever know. Whenever you get uh, do away with those things. Well, we're, we're coming down, getting close to the end of the show already. 
it's gone so quickly. What is the primary takeaway that you want to leave with our listeners today? And maybe one or two minutes that you would like to share with them. Well, I, I've alluded to it a little bit already, but you know, sort of expanding on this idea that you don't have to be a tech expert to stay safe in the digital age and keep those in your in your friend networks and in your familial networks safe as well. Because in the majority of circumstances that I work on, it's not some cyber criminal that is targeting the victim. It's, a, as I've mentioned, a current or former intimate partner or somebody who had a, had a personal connection to the victim. And as a result, had opportunity and access to things like passwords and personal information and devices and things of that nature. And in a world where unsophisticated people can have really sophisticated devices like AirTags placed in their hands for $29, it, it can seem like it's a world of really sophisticated, tech-savvy cyber criminals targeting us. But in fact, it's often folks that have the same level of you know, sort of run-of-the-mill tech expertise that most folks have. They're just misusing opportunity. And if that's true, if the people that are harming folks in these circumstances are not tech experts, then we don't have to be tech experts either. And we can take really straightforward, fundamental steps like password management or using a password manager instead of reusing passwords and making sure we turn on two-step verification or checking to see what devices are currently logged into our accounts and making sure we remove any unfamiliar devices. Things like that, very simple and straightforward, but can have massive impact in mitigating and preventing abuse when the person causing or will potentially be causing that abuse abuse isn't a tech expert. So they're once they're locked out, they're not going to be able to hack their way in because they don't have those skills in the first place. Yes. Fundamentals. Thank you so much for being my guest today, Adam. I really enjoyed speaking with you about this topic. Thank you so much for having me. Today, I've been speaking with Adam Dodge, founder of endtab.org about how IoT technologies and products can be used to facilitate abuse and assaults. Please send feedback about this show. Uh, just let me know what you think about it. Use Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. If you can't make our scheduled debut show each month, of course, you can hear all my recordings out on my VoiceAmerica.com business channel website and all those apps that we talked about. Until our next show, ask those that you do business with and work for, and for goodness sake, ask the manufacturers of those IoT products you get if they are doing all they can to secure the information you've entrusted to them and also to protect your privacy and your safety. Be privacy aware in the month ahead. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in this week. Data security and privacy with the Privacy Professor can be heard live the first Saturday of each month at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next time, stay safe.